Okay, seriously. Who can believe the Pirates did what they did yesterday? Who expected that? I heard Bob Nutting got a call about suspicious activity on his credit card. I expected nothing. I expected the Pirates to stand pat. But Kayla and Archer, that's the investment for right now and through 2020 at least. For one day, you could trust the Pirates. Kind of. I mean, let's not go overboard. Will the Pirates make the playoffs? Will the Pirates get a wild card? Probably not. But no one can say the Pirates didn't do what's right. This is the Mark Madden Show. You like it, you love it, you want more of it. The number to call is 412-333-WXDX. Or follow me on Twitter, at MarkMaddenX. Steelers General Manager Kevin Colbert joins me live from Latrobe in about 10 minutes. Uh, the Pirates won at PNC Park last night, 5-4 over Chicago. A very exciting game. Only 19,000 showed up. That's low considering what happened. I did watch the game on TV. I'm more likely to watch after yesterday. Lots of Cubs fans at PNC Park, but the Pirates fans were electric, especially when the Buckos wound up with the W. Uh, but let's talk Steelers. Well, not, not really Steelers. It's more like the proclivities of one Steeler in particular, namely running back Le'Veon Bell. Has everyone seen the Lev Bell video by now in the strip club? Dollar bills on the floor and Bell's hands all over the worst ass ever. I repeat, the worst stripper ass ever. Lev, bruh, you're a pro. You're a millionaire. Find some better stripper ass. That ass looked like somebody put on golf spikes and stepped in cottage cheese. When it comes to ass, I understand the big thing. I understand the round thing. That ass was big, but it looked like a sack of golf balls. Lev popped a zit and chocolate milk leaked out. I think her tattoos were actually brands, because that was some cattle ass. Lev, hear me now and thank me later. You made 12 million bucks last year. You're going to make 14.5 million bucks this year. You can afford the A team. The floor was covered in dollar bills. If that stripper had bad eyes, she might have started to graze. Uh, by the way, I love Wiz Khalifa. But Pittsburgh isn't black and yellow like Chris Archer, the new pitcher, like he tweeted. It's black and gold, not black and yellow. Wiz doesn't get to change that. Uh, Archer tweeted earlier today, I don't know why, but I'm in a Wiz Khalifa type of mood. Well, I hope Archer isn't drug tested anytime soon. That would put most people in a Wiz Khalifa kind of mood, that, that dirty weed. I tweeted a joke like that earlier in response to Archer. People lambasted me. I got no problem getting high. Chris Archer's high? 
Yo, man, pass the duchy to the left-hand side. Now, there's a third player, a third guy to go from Pittsburgh to Tampa to complete the Chris Archer deal. I heard it might be Pittsburgh dad. If Pittsburgh dad is the third guy and we get him out of town, that would be awesome. Uh, but let's get back to, to dad ass and Lev Bell. I have never hired ass that dastardly. When you pay, use better judgment. Get your money's worth. Some people feel Bell embarrassed the Steelers just by being in a strip club and that video leaking. One fanboy Steeler blog said they should pull the franchise tag from Lev Bell. Listen, that ass was terrible. And there's no upside of putting it on video. But there's nothing wrong with a 26-year-old guy in a strip club or any guy in a strip club. Are we really turning that puritanical? You know what? We are. Uh, So the Pirates won. How about Addison Russell coming off the bag with what should have been a triple in the ninth? Slid, came off the bag, freeze alertly applied the tag, replay, made the call. That took the tying run off third base with zero outs. That's baseball karma. The Pirates did the right thing earlier in the day, and baseball karma uh, rewarded them that night. Tyon and the bullpen were very good. Polanco and Cervelli with home runs. Freeze with two RBIs. David Freeze with 15 RBIs in the month of July. You can credit him for the Pirate turnaround as much as you can anybody. The Pirates now 16-4 and four in their last 20 games. Game two of the series with Chicago is tonight. Cole Hamels makes his Cubs debut. Kingham pitches for Pittsburgh, and then after that, he'll start pitching for Indianapolis. Joe Madden, the Cubs manager, great manager, just a dink as a person. He was arguing after the game about the call on replay. When Russell got tagged out, when he came off the back. How self-important and conceded you need to be to argue with a call made by replay that is indisputable. Well, we didn't see it the same way. He said stuff like that. You, there's, there's, there's only one way to see it, and that's what the video showed. Uh, definitely a big victory for the Pirates. Part of me said... When Russell came off the bag, that's kind of a chintzy way to to pocket that win. But chintzy is as chintzy does. Take it any which way you can, especially on a day where emotionally momentum swung the Pirates' way. And it was nice to see that momentum maintained with that victory. If you'd like to place a futures bet on the Pirates... Their World Series odds shrunk in wake of the trades for Kayla and Archer. 
Before those trades, the Pirates were 250 to 1 to win the World Series. Now they are 40 to 1. Their odds to win the division were 66 to 1. Now they are 22 to 1. Up next, going to take a detour and talk some football. Live from Latrobe, it's Steelers general manager Kevin Colbert. Kevin Colbert up next here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Just all kinds of loose women. Women in various states of moral decay. (laughs) I wasn't kidding. The X at 105.9. Football season is upon us. Joining me now to get us caught up on the state of the Steelers as they go through their paces in Latrobe, it's general manager Kevin Colbert. Uh, Kevin, how much contact in practice is a safe amount of contact? Uh, that's a debate that's kind of popped up in the wake of Foster's injury. Yeah, Mark, you know, it's, um, football is a contact sport, and you have to practice what you're going to end up playing. You know, we play next Thursday evening. If you don't have a certain amount of contact, um, you're not going to be prepared for that. Uh, Craig Wolfley taught me a long time ago that, you know, it would be like boxing without sparring. You have to go through some some contact, and unfortunately, Ramon Ramon got hurt. It was in a situation that was really a it was a team run drill, and sometimes in those team run drills, to make them authentic, you have to throw the ball. And we were passing, and uh, Stefan Tewitt fell across the back of his leg, and unfortunately, got hurt. Fortunate it wasn't too bad, but you you have to put the guys in those situations, and you have to monitor it. You know, we have a between twelve to fifteen live plays per day, um, so it's not. We don't think it's excessive. I think it is necessary, and uh, just hope for the best. Well, it looks like Foster's injury isn't too bad, but are you happy with your depth on the O-line right now? Because you did lose some uh, in the offseason with Hubbard leaving, and, of course, Hawkins got hurt. Correct. And that's, you know, with Ramon being down, he's probably going to be down for the majority of training camp. So you worry about that because you're one step closer to not, you know, having that player available and and when – Hawkins got hurt that, that limited our, our exposure to, uh, I mean, our depth on the offensive tackle. So now Fuchs Okorafor has to step up. And, you know, that's why when you get into a draft situation and you like a player, um, you better take him because you just don't know how things will shake out. Unfortunately, this young man well, is on our team, and he'll get the opportunity to prove it. In the meantime, he'll get the opportunity to prove that he can be uh, that backup swing tackle, but in the meantime, it's our job to be prepared if he's not, and we have to look for depth elsewhere. And that's what our scouts will be doing in the, the preseason as we look at the other teams' depth charts and who uh, may or may not make their team. It's our job to be ready in the event that Chooks isn't ready. But so far, so good with him. But again, we'll see how, how it shakes out starting on Thursday. What's your take on Terrell Edmonds uh, so far at camp? Because he certainly has a lot of raw ability, doesn't he? He does, and, you know, it's it's what we expected from him. That's why we, we liked him where we took him. Now, again, he has to prove it. He's, you know, unfortunately, Morgan Burnett um, strained his hamstring early and uh, opened the door for Terrell, quite honestly. And so far, he's responded, and... Again, it's a, it's part of this whole process of figuring out who can and who can't. It's one thing to do it in practice. Um, it'll be another thing to do it in a preseason game and then obviously into a regular season. But so far, so good. He's approached it. I, I believe the learning has been 
um, above board for a, for a rookie at that position is always difficult. But so far, so good, and we'll just see if he can continue. I got a feeling Edmonds is going to be a big part of the sub package, Kevin, as a box safety, kind of a hybrid. Is that likely? Is that the role you'd like to see him in? Well, I think what we try to do with those guys is teach them one thing at a time and, and make sure that they have the base defense down. Again, he's he got accelerated uh, with Burnett's um, hamstring issue. He got accelerated into this role. Um, and sometimes that happens with a rookie. It happened with Ben, unfortunately, his rookie year when Tommy Maddox got hurt. Um, he was thrust into a role um, more or quicker than we maybe wanted to do it. But that's the reality of this game. But the, the sub-packages, I think once he gets the base defenses down and we continue to grow and we, we'll start working those things uh, more, not so much the first week at camp will be pretty basic that first week, but as we build to that third preseason game, which is the most realistic test of the preseason, um, some of those packages will be instituted, and we think Terrell will be part of those by then. Rod Woodson said the defense needs more playmakers. Do you agree with that? What we need is more consistency. Um, you know, we were very good at rushing the passer last year, but we gave up too many big runs. We gave up too many big plays. So playmakers, um, I, I'm, what I'm looking for and what we're looking for is consistency. We had, you know, we had playmakers from a, from a pass rush standpoint, we were very good. From a run defense standpoint, we were good. And there were times where we weren't. Pass defense, there were times where we were good and times where we weren't. So I think the consistency is what we're looking for. And if you've got playmakers, that consistency should be there. How is Artie Burns progressing at corner? The word is, from covering Antonio Brown every day, he's kind of picking his game up. And boy, that would certainly test you, wouldn't it? It is. I mean, it's the ultimate test every day, and he never sides away from it. Um, you know, Antonio will beat him. And then Artie will get right back up and try again. I tell you, might beat him again. Um, you know, and the thing you try to reinforce with Artie is, look, you know, this isn't unusual with with AB being able to beat you. Um, you have to match the competition because you're going against the best. Sometimes when you practice against the best, the next challenge in a, in a game might not be as good. But you know, Artie responds to the challenge every every rep, every play. You know. And he, he's trying to get better. He is better than he was last year at this point. But, again, he has to prove it, and um, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's a big year for it. A lot of times when we draft somebody, we always say that third year is the year where it's either a, um, a make or break, and that's the year he's in. And, you know, we want more. We want more out of Hardy because if we get more out of Hardy, we'll be better uh, with the consistency that we're going to look for from our defense. We're talking to Steelers general manager Kevin Colbert here on the Mark Madden Show. Kevin, uh, you have said the Steelers haven't had distractions dating back through last year. Walk me through that one because I'm not quite sure I agree. I I know that the NFL's changed a lot over the past decade or so in that regard, but but I see some distraction there. Well, I I think when you look at distractions, there's things that happen outside of the the football um, side of things, and can that take away from from our team's productivity? And, you know, sometimes I think that things that we look at as distractions from the outside looking in aren't necessarily viewed the same way from the inside looking out because we may have a better handle on 
what's causing whatever. And I think Coach does a great job of, you know, addressing those types of things when necessary. I mean, he's got, he has sat star players down in the past. Um, when there was an issue last year, you know, Martavis Bryant was sat for a game because of some things he had posted on social media, which was something that, that Coach had addressed uh, prior to. So I, I truly believe that the things that happen within our our locker room, you know, on the field, off the field, in meetings, uh, coaches is way above and beyond uh, the next challenge. I think he has a good handle on what our guys are doing, what we want them to do, and when they don't, um, there's no question about his reaction to situations. I think sometimes Coach Thomas viewed as a guy that, um, you know, he can laugh and joke with a player on a field, and that's just that's his personality. But make no mistake that um, kindness is no is no indication of weakness in that regard because um, I've seen him deal with uh, elite players in a in a not so elite manner when it's necessary. Um, but he'll do it in a professional manner and in usually a private environment that um, we try to handle those distractions. So I don't I don't I don't worry about our guys um, becoming distractions because if they do, I know he has and will continue to handle those. Now, the situation with Lev Bell is an open book, but how much does his absence hurt your preparation? Because at some level, Kevin, it's got to. It does. There's no question. I mean, you know, I was asked that question after the season last year, and I said, well, you know, him not being in camp, that it hurt him. And when a guy's a Pro Bowl player, it's hard to say that it did. But in all honesty, he could have been a better Pro Bowl player. We could have been a better um, offense. I think when you don't have a key piece here working with your guys, um, that's an issue because he doesn't get the timing down with the offensive line. He doesn't get the coordination with Ben. He doesn't get the blitz pickup work. Um, and when he gets here, he'll be in peak physical condition. There's no question about that. But he won't be in football condition. And, you know, as we referenced earlier, the ability – or the, the contact stuff that we do in training camp, if you're not doing that and if you haven't done it, you're not going to be at peak performance uh, when he's going to be asked to play whenever that is. So, again, it's always in his best interest to be here and in the team's best interest, but without a contract, there's no way to enforce that. I look at uh, Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, Kevin, and I wonder, how much more can those two possibly do? Is there still another level... That, that you feel those two can reach? Yes, there's no question. And, you know, when Joe Green worked for us, you know, he used to always tell us, hey, it's great to do something good. It's great to win a Super Bowl. It's great to do this play, that play, this win, that win, whatever. He said, but, you know, do it again. And, you know, I'd look at Antonio and I'd look at Ben, and I know these are two professionals that are out to exceed um, what they've done before. Um, they're never satisfied. Um, you know, Ben's in my opinion, going to be a Hall of Fame player. But he's not done proving that he can still do more. And Antonio hasn't had that satisfaction of winning the Super Bowl. And until he gets that, um, that's the first step that he has to to make in, in, in what's been a, a great career to this point. You know, sometimes when you don't win that Super Bowl, it's, it's not quite as much. And um, he has to prove to himself that he can be a Super Bowl champion. So I think that's that's his big challenge. How will Fickner change the offense, or, or will he even change it very much? 
Well, I think from a schematic standpoint, there'll be a lot of carryover. I just think it'll be his personality um, and his input. Um, having worked with Ben uh, more intimately as his quarterback position coach over the years, um, I think he has a real good understanding of of Ben, um, of when to let Ben do what he needs to do or when he needs to take a little more control. Uh, I'm very comfortable. I think we're very comfortable with Randy's ability to do that. And I think it's exciting to, to see um, where that might go, you know, in the year. It, again, like any like any new player, a new coach in a new position has to prove that, that he can do it as we have to prove ourselves every day in what we do. So I'm excited. I, I know there'll be some carryover, but he'll also add his own his own touches and you know hopefully we'll be a better offense you know we know that we have to get better in the red zone that was for as good as we were offensively that was that was a period that was a a part of our team that we weren't as good as we need to be and again a consistency factor i think uh, we can improve along those lines so hopefully randy will get us there well let's stay with that red zone uh for a second kevin because you guys have all the tools to be great in the red zone have you pinpointed the problem i mean what has to change? What has to improve? That's the thing we always you always want to look at. You know, you're dealing with a, a much smaller field um, when you get there, so the options offensively aren't as great. Um, you know, Bell's a good runner. Can he prove that he can be that tough physical runner in those critical situations? Can the offensive line move the defenders the way they need to move them? Um, we haven't proven that consistently. Can Ben make the the critical throw more often than not. You know, I'm pretty sure we, we led the league in the two-point conversion phase of things, and that's really where our field is is constricted. Um, we've been very successful in that phase. We need to work on that 20-yard range and in. But it's just really finding a consistency of what we do good and really working, uh, understanding that we have that, but also identify what we don't do good. And right now, it's just been a consistency thing, Mark, where we haven't we haven't made the tough runs consistent enough in short yardage, and we haven't made the um, I want to say the the consistent big play and, and maybe the fade situations, um, maybe getting a more consistent play out of the tight end group because they're big uh, contributors in your red zone because of you know obviously their size advantage. So I just think we need a little bit more out of everybody. Are you happy with the level of leadership on the team? Uh, and how does that manifest itself? It's such an intangible thing to talk about, but are you happy with it at first blush right now? Well, I think we're blessed to have, you know, obviously I could mention Ben uh, before. That's that's no question. Um, you know, he's the team leader, uh, period. He's the one that after a game, win or lose, he's going to address the team uh, after a game. He's going to be the guy that sets the tone. And there are other guys, you know, offensively, you know, Marquise Ponce, there's no question that um, when something needs said, he's not going to be shy about saying. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. He erupts, he clears his throat, says something meaningless. Who would win in a fight, Lemmy or God? I think it's a trick question. Lemmy is God. The X at 105.9. Chris Archer has reported the Pirates. And I give the guy credit, in in the short time since he was traded to Pittsburgh by Tampa Bay, Chris Archer has been kissing as much Pittsburgh ass as possible. 
He quoted Wiz Khalifa not once but twice on Twitter. And then today when he showed up at PNC Park, he was wearing an Antonio Brown jersey. Uh, Archer will be wearing number 24 for the Pirates, like Barry Bonds used to. He wore 22 in Tampa, but I guess it's too soon since Kutch left, so they'll be giving him Barry Bonds' number. I'm curious to see if Ray Searage will adjust Archer's style at all. I, I rather doubt it. Uh, that pitch to contact stuff that the Pirates have adopted organizationally. Well, Tyon isn't doing it now on the advice of Joe Musgrove, and he's been better for it. Chris Archer's not the kind of pitcher who should pitch to contact. He's a strikeout guy. For that matter, so is Kayla. He is a strikeout guy. So whatever works best for the individual is what that individual should pursue. And if that means you're running a mutiny on Ray Searage, well, make the most of it because, frankly, Searage's so-called magic has been absent for quite some time. As I said to open the show, I still can't believe the Pirates did what they did, but I give them full credit for it. Uh, The Pirates made a couple very good baseball trades. Baseball trades, that can't be denied. Neil Huntington did a great job despite going against his grain and the team's grain of never trading prospects. But why did the Pirates do it? What triggered what the Pirates did? What are your thoughts? 412-333-WXDX. Keep in mind that in 2016, the Pirates were in just about the same position they are now. They were three games out of a wild card and three games over 500. And the Pirates nonetheless traded Melanson and Liriano. So why did the Pirates go against their philosophy now and not, say, back in 2016? I think the declining attendance had something to do with it. What Huntington said before the Pirates went on this tear, that had something to do with it. And not wanting to lose the clubhouse, maybe for good, that surely had something to do with it. The Pirates had no choice but to do what they did, or they would have paid the consequences. When your attendance is down 13K per game since 2015, and even though you've got a decent team this year, the needle's still moving in the wrong direction, that's bad. You've got to correct that, and sooner or later, you have to spend money to make money. Well, now, it's later. And the Pirates didn't add all that much payroll yesterday, like $6.5 million, and that seems like a lot to you. It probably seems like a lot to the Pirates. But in MLB, $6.5 million added at the trade deadline, that's just butt-wipe money. I hate to congratulate the Pirates for, at long last, trying to win, because you should always try to win. And these moves were kind of a last resort, as I've been talking about, but they were two good baseball trades. Uh, The third player in the Archer deal is reportedly a prospect of some note, but not Mitch Keller. I wonder if it's uh, either of the middle infielders the Pirates are relying on so much looking ahead. Uh, Kramer and Newman. And does it bother anybody that the Pirates' two big middle infield prospects 
have the same names as a bumbling duo from Seinfeld, Kramer and Newman. I hope they don't collect a whole bunch of bottles and cans and drive to Michigan in a stolen mail van just because the return on deposit is higher up there. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I wonder if the Pirates are disappointed about the attendance last night. I am kind of up. The Pirates only drew 19K last night after making those two trades earlier in the day. The whole city got excited, beat them bucks, and then looked out the window and saw that it was raining a little bit. Uh, interesting story out of Baltimore. Uh, the Orioles have gutted their team because they stink and they're in a total rebuilding mode. And they wanted to trade Adam Jones to the Phillies. But Jones is a 10-5 guy, has spent over 10 years with the Orioles. He had a veto power, and so he vetoed the trade. He's staying on the worst team in baseball and declining to go to a contender. And you can talk about him uprooting his family, but he's in the last year of his contract. So he'll very likely be moving on at the conclusion of this season anyway. But uh, he decided to stay in Baltimore. And you know what? Everybody should be fined by that. Uh, he's getting some criticism in the wake. How can you not want to try and win? I'm not sure Philadelphia is going to win. Might make the playoffs, but they won't go far. But at any rate, that's Jones's business. And as he said, quote, I earned every single bit of it, unquote. It reminds me a bit uh, when the Penguins traded Ron Francis. Ron Francis vetoed a couple trades in the last year of his contract here in Pittsburgh because it's not like baseball with the 10-5 rule, but Ronnie had a no-trade clause in his contract. And Ronnie said to me on the record, very frankly, when you get a no-trade put in your contract, you give up money to get that. And so since I sacrificed the money, I'm going to utilize the option and not go anywhere where I don't want to go. Uh, a great show so far, I think. We've got Bob Nightingale, the baseball writer for USA Today. He'll join me at 4.30 to talk about what the Pirates did. Uh, I was listening to Dan LeBatard today on ESPN Radio. And I used to not like LeBatard until I realized that he gets it. He does a sports talk show that's not all sports. That may sound familiar. And he just throws stuff out there that you say, okay, I see what you're saying. Some other people might not, but I do. For example, today, apparently there's a Friends movie being discussed. Getting back all the Friends to do a movie. Because that is one of the most successful TV shows of all time. And Levitard says, what if the friends got back together in the movie? And then in the middle of it, one of them was murdered in grisly fashion. And they tried to figure out which of the friends murdered his or her friend. That's tremendous. I would pay 20 bucks to see that in a heartbeat. And obviously it would be Chandler. I mean, you got to figure Chandler was going to snap at some point because he never nailed Joey with all that unrequited, you know, it just 
that's the way I think that movie would and should go. 412-333-9939. This is the Mark Madden Show. Like I said, we got Bob Nightingale at 4.30. I know people don't believe I'm glad the Pirates did what they did. I am glad the Pirates did what they did. My buddy Dave Dorsey, the junior A hockey coach, he went out and bought a six-pack of tickets. Wants me to go to one of the games and sit in the outfield with him. Sit in the outfield. How daring would that be on my part? Uh, well, I guess we should go to a break because, oh, wait, Clint Hurdle just announcing. That's what I was looking around and trying to stab at. Chris Archer will start for the Pirates on Friday at PNC. I should take the day off and go to that game. But I think instead I'll take the day off and go to Las Vegas. 105.9 X. Um. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark? Yes? I have a crush on you. What a gutless bitch the Hebrew hammer is. We keep it real. What a bubblehead. The X at 105.9. Just mentioned that Chris Archer will make his Pirates debut Friday night starting at PNC Park against the St. Louis Cardinals. If that game doesn't sell out or get pretty close, it makes me wonder if Pittsburgh baseball fans are truly embracing what the Pirates did yesterday uh, like they should. Tyler Glasnow starting tonight for Tampa Bay. That could literally sell dozens of extra tickets. Uh, no quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Uh, make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Pirates, of course, second game of the series against the Cubs is tonight at PNC Park. And Sean Rodriguez is in the lineup. He'll be playing second base. That's good. I want at-bats. I want the battle to continue. His batting average against my IQ can he out hit 166? With almost every major leaguer ever, I would say definitely yes. With Sean Rodriguez, I would say it's up for grabs. Clearly, Clint Hurdle is going to keep playing Sean Rodriguez no matter who the Pirates acquire. And yeah, I know they, they got pitchers, so that doesn't affect Rodriguez. But I believe they could have traded for Brooks Robinson, Bill Mazeroski, Ozzie Smith, and Reggie Jackson all in their primes. A guy at each position Rodriguez plays, and he would still find a way to get Serpico in the lineup on a regular basis. Uh, I've been getting attacked quite a bit because people say, oh, you're jumping on the pirate bandwagon. I'm not a bandwagon fan. I'm a fair weather fan. If they do good and they try to win, I'll support them. I don't love baseball the way some of you do. I would watch the Penguins in hockey no matter what. I would watch soccer in Liverpool no matter what. The Pirates have to win or at least really try, as they displayed yesterday with the two trades, for me to be interested. I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm not a hardcore baseball fan. I'm a casual fan. And to make money, to, to, to make money on attendance, I should say, and TV ratings, baseball's, you know, a, a guaranteed profit with the revenue sharing and the and the in the tech sale payday, all that stuff. But to sell tickets, you, you gotta win or go all out to try to. And the Pirates now 
made two trades that at least indicate the latter, even if they don't achieve the former. And what they did yesterday doesn't change the fact that they tore apart the 2015 team too early. And the team now, it's pretty good. It's better after those two trades, but it's not nearly as good as the team should have been in 2016 had they kept it together as long as they should have, had they not slammed the window shut on the fans' fingers. Uh, Amy Lawrence on CBS Radio, somebody said that uh, whenever she talked about the Pirates raising the Jolly Roger, she did say raise the Jolly Rancher. But she said it uh, with no irony or humor, as I do. Hey, maybe Amy Lawrence is a fan of old double M. Most women are. Uh, Tom Wilson signed that big deal to stay with the Washington Capitals. And some people have been critical of that. How can you give that goon that much for that long? Hey, he's dirty AF. He's a big stooge. He got six years, 31 mil. That is too much and too long. But everybody gets too much and too long when they get to free agency. So what? Uh, Washington won the Cup. Wilson is integral to their team. You got to keep him. Now, he was a restricted free agent, so his leverage was relatively minimal. And the Caps did pay a little bit over the odds. But no matter how much we hate Tom Wilson here in Pittsburgh... They need Tom Wilson in Washington. They won, he won, and there's a lot to be said for continuity. Now, some good did come of the Capitals winning the Cup. Mia Khalifa, the porn chick, who now wants to be a sports girl. Yo, once you do airtight on video, you're a porn chick, not a sports girl. Doesn't matter what happens after airtight. You're a porn chick, period. Now, during the playoffs, she was at a game, and she got hit in her fake boob by a puck, and the boob basically exploded, and it needed surgery. That's not funny, except it's really funny. She's the worst. There's a few words I could use to describe her, but we're in an enlightened era of the Mark Madden Show, so I prefer to just think of her as a big, exploding fake boob. 412-333-9939. Everybody's fired up about those two baseball trades the Buccos made. Not salary dumps, but they were baseball trades. I'll tell you a few things that could happen to make those trades not as good as they look now. That's 30 seconds away on 105.9 The X.